0: Welcome to Mama Talk Talks, A Different Take, a podcast where everyday people around the globe share a different take on everyday issues. I'm your host, Abi Mambo, and I'm pleased you're joining us today. Welcome. So, welcome to A Different Take. Really excited to have you here and um, we'll get right in. I know this is a topic that's near and dear to your heart. We're going to be talking about feminism in all its facet today and what it means and what it doesn't mean in the original context when it was founded in the African context. I'll go wherever you take me on this journey. So before we get into the nitty-gritty, just a brief introduction of yourself. Um, hi Abam. I'm, um, I'm
1: very happy to be here today and definitely looking forward to engaging and talking about feminism and the ways in which it affects us on a daily basis. Again, my name is Mbu. I work as an aerospace engineer at Raytheon Company, which is an aerospace defense, aerospace and defense company in the Dallas area. I currently am a thermal analyst, which just means that I make sure that some of the components that we build don't burn up in flights and maintain their integrity. What that means also is that I work around a lot of men and interact with them on a daily basis. And so I my perspective about a lot of things is shaped by that experience. But more so, I think even home life, being an African woman and growing up in a culture that is the way our culture is, I've had to straddle those two worlds. And so along the way, I've definitely become very passionate about the ways in which culture in general and society affect the way that we think about things and the way that we react and how gender plays a role in a lot of things that we encounter. So I am looking forward to having this conversation and really not starting it, but, you know, contributing to it and hopefully letting it continue for other people.
0: And well, I'm not going to let you downplay your accomplishments. I just have to say one Cameroonian to another you are the first aerospace engineer that Cameroon has graduated with a PhD is that right yes
1: my understanding I don't know if anybody really did research to make sure that that was true
0: well so there's somebody who holds that record that's not you they should please stand up I think and it's an important thing to mention because in this day and if we talk a lot about the importance of getting more women into STEM. And here you are. I think it's an amazing accomplishment. And I I didn't want us to just kind of gloss over it because that's what sometimes women tend to do is we just bypass our accomplishments outside of work. So I wanted to give a shout out to that. We don't see this every day, male or female. So I think it's something that's worth applauding and celebrating. No
1: question. It's probably one of the Biggest accomplishments I have till date. It took a lot out of me. But I do have a PhD in aerospace engineering from The Ohio State University. And after that, I worked for a bunch of companies in the US. I worked for NASA, I worked for the United States Air Force, and I also worked for another aerospace and defense company called Harris Corporation in the Florida area. So Again, all along, that has shaped my perspective around all of these things. Very male-dominated. I'm looking forward to bringing that into the conversation, yeah.
0: So you're about to be a first-time mom. And I mentioned that because it's something that I think we should come back to in the conversation. But I don't want to start there with motherhood because one of the things we tend to do is we define women in these very limited boxes, motherhood being one of them. What is feminism to you? What's your definition of feminism? So I think of feminism
1: as advocacy for equality between the genders. Because I'm someone who is very passionate about the roles that money plays in uh, society. One of the biggest things for me is economically. So, So I think of feminism as advocacy for equality between the genders in terms of economics first. And then also in terms of our ability to do certain things, intellectually, definitely. And then just in general. Now, without sidetracking from the conversation, I don't think that feminism takes away any of the physical differences that do exist between men and women. But
0: I know know where that comment is going. I've, I've heard people who say, you know, feminism cannot deny the fact that women are not men. I'm like, okay, I don't think that's the point, but all right, whatever.
1: <laughs> Naturally, men, but we would like to acknowledge the fact that women are equally as intelligent, equally as capable of leadership. And what that translates to in the world today is economic benefits. And so from the perspective of the kind of doors that you know, economic empowerment opens for us. I think feminism plays a big role in equalizing that play playing field, and then, by definition, just leading to a better outcomes for women. Because then, if we have more economic power, we have more control over the things that impact us. Right? You're limited when you're at the mercy of someone economically. Versus, if we're opening up doors for women economically, then you know, it leads to them having more control over a lot of things, over their health, over their mental well-being, over the quality of lives that their children end up leaving because you're no longer at the mercy of someone else telling you what you can or cannot do. And really over our entire lives. So that's why this is something that is close to my heart, because I think that it has implications for just about everything. When you have control over your time and your money. And you then have control over a lot of the other aspects of your life. It's something that I don't think that we can just brush under the table and ignore because it affects all the aspects of our lives.
0: You know, what you said about money reminds me of something that happened in one of the women groups, WhatsApp groups I'm a member of. So we had Mm -hmm. a, a woman who's turning 30. I think it is. And she sent out a note to the group saying, you know, I'm 29, 30, and I feel like it's a big birthday or something. And there's just this step change that seems to happen when you turn 30. So she was soliciting, you know, just advice from the rest of the group. And my goodness, the advice come flooding in and really just fantastic advice. It was like, people are talking to their selves at 30, right? What, what they would have told their 30 year old selves. But one thing that stood out to me that's relevant to what you said was somebody made the comment around save a lot of your money when you're young because everybody needs their effort budget. (laughs) And honestly, that's something that I used to tell my team a lot at work. I would say you need to have your effort money because there comes a time in your life when you have to just exit stage left from whatever situation. It might be work. It might, in many women's cases, be a marriage. And we know from the culture that we come from, of many cultures around the world, that. One of the reasons why a lot of women stay in bad marriages and bad situations is financially they cannot sustain themselves. So when you made that comment, it just took me back to the effort budget in the WhatsApp group today. But having said that, one of the things I want to dive into really quickly is there's been a lot of criticism of feminism in terms of its inception and that it was never intended or constructed for black or African women. What's your take on that? So I think by definition, it definitely
1: includes us, right? I know that there's questionable history around feminism, but I think that we define, there's questionable history around a lot of things that are good today. Education that we imported, there's questionable history around Christianity and Islam and everything. But I think when it comes to feminism, people want to capitalize on the history that excluded black women initially. But by definition, it includes us, right? A black woman is intellectually equal to a black man on average, statistically. So I don't know that there's any, at all, any credence to be given to that line of reasoning. There's no reason that because our skin is a different color or because we come from a different culture that somehow we're intellectually or otherwise inferior to our male counterparts. And I think it's a cop-out because people like to say, oh, our culture does not, it's not a culture that certain things should be the way that we aspire for them to be. First, that's true about a lot of other things that we have willingly (laughs) adopted. And so it's hypocritical to capitalize on that. And secondly, culture evolves and we make culture what it is. And if it's true that there are certain things about our culture, which it is, that do not treat women fairly or that make the lives of half of our populations harder just because of the gender that they are born with, that's something that we need to change and something that we actively need to be working on. I found that, like you, I've recently started to engage in public speaking and talking to crowds. And recently, one of the crowds that I spoke to was a large room of Cameroonian men as the toughest crowd I've ever had to address around this topic, around women in leadership, women in technology, and all of that. Because we have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out the perspective by which to come um, to reach them, right? Because we have all these preconceived notions as Africans, and especially as African men, that there's a certain place for a woman. And so I, I was trying to find a way to reach them and I found that the easiest way, which I don't like that this is the case, is to target their daughters, for those of them who have happened to have female children. Yeah. And when you go about it from that perspective, you, everybody now aspires for bigger and better things for their daughters. Well, if you want good things for your daughters, why is it so hard for you to expand your imagination to think that the next woman who happens to now be your daughter is equally as capable as your own child? to reach those milestones because I think we've succeeded in convincing ourselves that it's not our culture when it's our wives or other women that we encounter mm-hmm. in society, but then we are able to make the separation when you have a, a really brilliant daughter and you want the best for her. Yeah, We need to question that hypocrisy that we have internally about what culture really is and what the implications of that are. I look at this as a bigger picture and not just say, oh, And leave it at that because, again, it has serious implications for us. Even the daughters that we're trying to protect, they watch the way that we interact on a daily basis with each other. And they internalize these lessons about what their place in society is, what their place in leadership is, and ultimately tend to make their life choices based on what we're teaching them about culture and about a woman's role in in society.
0: So one of the things and I and I will be provocative here because I think it's important that we have that conversation, but we talk about feminism sometimes in a way that is a bit binary, right? Men against women. But a lot of the traits that we attribute to men in terms of holding women back or viewing women as second class citizens are perpetuated to some extent by women. Yeah, no
1: question.
0: So, so let's get into that a little bit. What is your sense of that? Because I have witnessed cases where there are women who will say, yes, my place is in the kitchen, and I don't don't understand why your place needs to be somewhere else. Why does your place need to be in the boardroom? How do we engage that discourse in a way that is not just focused on men holding us back, but it's a mentality for some people that goes beyond gender? And, you
1: know, absolutely. I don't think that there's any question that there's a large group of women that definitely enforce the stereotypes and are the gatekeepers of the patriarchy. But I think the way that we're not coming at this as a war between men and women or claiming that everything gets enforced by the men. I think the same societal structures that cause men to think the way they do are the same societal structures that women exist in. Mm -hmm. It's harder to understand it when a woman is enforcing it because my perspective is these things negatively affected you. Why can't you see that they're bad for us? And so
0: why can't they see it?
1: I think, you know, you're immersed in this culture and you're immersed in this society. And if you're not intentionally thinking about how much of a burden it is, it's easy for you to accept that that's just the way things are, right? So if you think about this, there are a lot of ways that life is unfair that are not necessarily obvious. So for example, I want to talk about emotional labor, but maybe that's a little too abstract or out there. No, no, no. I, I want to
0: hear it. I want to hear
1: it. Physical labor part. But let's talk about the way that work is distributed at home, right? For example, in a lot of families, both parents come home. The mom is responsible for running the, fam- running the house, running the family, making sure that she stays on top of everything, children's doctor's appointments. If a child is misbehaving in school, she has to juggle that. That used to be potentially easier to manage if the mother didn't work outside of the home. But now moms work outside of the home, but we've still ascribed that piece of running a house and maintaining the house and managing a house, which is a full job on itself. As something that is maternal and something that the woman has to carry on well because all of us grew up or a lot of us grew up watching our mothers do that we've accepted that as our role and we don't necessarily count the number of hours yeah the number of the amount of mental space that that takes up and how that infects the other areas of our lives a lot of people don't see that necessarily as an unfairness they see it as that's just the way things are. that that's the rule of a woman that's what motherhood is, or that's what it is to be a wife. So I think unless you're intentionally thinking about this and questioning, and, and really quantifying what it means to manage a house, you might not necessarily see it as a problem. If anything, you'd see it as the people questioning this just being troublemakers, right? And that's why I think it's easy for women to also be enforcers of this and just say, well, your it's it's your wifely duty or your yeah. mother motherly role to take care
0: of those things in that narrative Mm -hmm. aren't there people who say well you brought this upon yourself because you want to be superwoman you don't need to work outside the home so you've elected to work outside the home therefore somebody has to do your job because i've heard that argument right and i mean it's rare now to have a single parent working home but for those who can afford it i do have friends whose husbands have said why do you work right The deal is you stay home and take care of the kids. You don't need to work. And I find that an interesting one because, well, I guess it's nice to not have to work. But the fact that someone else is potentially dictating that to you is where I get heartburn, right? I would like not to work, but I'd like it to kind of be my choice not to work (laughs) if I
1: could. Yeah, and, you know, you made the point. It's a completely different scenario if two people who are partners sit down and decide that for their family, it makes sense for one person to step out of the workforce for a while. It's something else entirely when it's getting imposed on one of the partners, because in that case, it's a dictatorship and there's a clear power structure in that relationship. I tell you what to do and you you have to do it. Which then begs the question, why do we educate girls? Why do we make girls become economically empowered or
0: financially stable? Oh, if we're going down today? a dangerous path because some people will say, exactly, why are I we educating girls? bundle them and have them stay at home. But
1: in this day and time, I don't know anybody who supports this inequality in the home that would not educate their daughters. So why are you educating your daughters? But the other side of that, too, is even when it's a choice that the couple makes together, I think this is something that we need to think more critically about, because sometimes it sounds like the economically better solution for the mother to step out of the workforce in the meantime, because maybe the woman is not, her income cut is as much as they would be spending on childcare anyway. But I think we need to look at this in the long term. First, again, from the economic perspective, how much the money that you're losing now and the experience that you're missing out on now impacts the rest of your earning potential in the future. Yes. And then secondly, and probably more importantly, we are, again, modeling these things for our children. So once a daughter, you have a daughter, she watches the dynamic that you have. It teaches her lessons about what she can aspire to and where her place is in society. And I think that you know, we should definitely be raising a generation of girls that have the liberty to reach for the stars and then end up deciding where they want to end up, right? We shouldn't have these situations where by what we're modeling for our children, we're basically teaching them that a woman's place is at home. And then if she decides that she wants the additional burden of working outside the home, then that's her problem and she needs to figure Sissy it out. Down. Yeah. I think that that's the case because we have, again, if we operate on that model, we're leaving out 50% of our most intelligent people on the sidelines, right? Yeah. We're leaving out 50% yeah. of our most creative people and basically using 50% of the world's talent to build solutions for the problems that we have tomorrow, to decide what laws to govern our societies and communities. So these are things that we need to think about more than on, oh, it costs us $500 to take care of the kids, so you should definitely stay at home. What are we modeling for our kids and what does what implications does that do those have for our children tomorrow and the world that we're going to live
0: in? And I'm going to keep playing devil's advocate here because I think it's important for us to have that discussion from both angles. So I was on a panel once, I've told this story before because it's one that has sat with me for a long time. So I was sitting on the panel once of leaders, female leaders And a group of women were asking us questions about work-life balance or integration or whatever they're calling it these days. (laughs) And one of the panelists said something to the effect of, when I travel for work and I'm required to be away overnight, take permission from my husband. Pretty senior, seasoned, smart, incredibly talented. And I say all those things to say, because she was all those things, I thought to myself, why do you need permission from a man? Now, that in and of itself is a bias in a way, right? Because I'm almost assuming that if you don't have those things, you should be taking permission from your husband. But we'll put it aside for a second. But in that moment, it was about three years ago, I had a very visceral reaction to it. So I said, um, why do you take permission from your husband? Is this something that, and she said, you know, I just, that's how I do it. And that's how I prefer to do it. And I said, but did... Does he expect you to take permission from him? And where I was going with that is, I recognize, I have three brothers, right? And I have a son now. I recognize that some of these things that we attribute to men or ascribe to them, they didn't ask for. So when I Mm -hmm. asked the question, is this a conversation you and your husband have, or did you just assume that he Mm -hmm. wants to take responsibility for your life and your choices? She said, no. No. And so that's something that I also want us to examine because I don't know how many of these things we fall into because we saw it growing up and men are saying, I don't want the responsibility for it. And the example I gave her was, so if you ask, if you said to him, I I want permission to go on this trip. And he says, no, if you don't go on that trip and you missed out on the promotion, who are you going to blame? Him. Is he in a position or is he willing to accept responsibility for your choices? Right? So, For me, there's a question there about: Do we abdicate some of our responsibility and place it on our spouses or on our partners in the name of culture? And I think, as women, we need to to interrogate that, right? So I just I want to get your sense on that because that just stood out to me as was this the agreement between you two, or did you just pass the buck off to him?
1: Yeah, I think that, like you're saying, we have to take some responsibility for that. I think women who have made it to the places of leadership and power, for lack of another way to put it, feel the need to overcompensate sometimes mm. Um, mm. to make sure that they're not all the stereotypes that the world thinks that they are. Yes. Right, And I've been having this conversation with my husband recently because of something that someone said um, early and it'll take too long to explain. But uh, we feel the need sometimes to be extra- kind or extra nice or extra accommodating so that we're not meeting the stereotypes of being controlling yes. or being aggressive yes. or being arrogant that people ascribe to us.
0: We're apologies for our I success. Have a friend yeah. who
1: describes me all the time as, oh this is my husband this is my best my friend's intelligent, smart, kind, and humble wife, right? She always, always, always when she refers to me, <laughs> makes sure Indicate that she thinks I'm a humble person. Why? I don't think that if if I wasn't all the things that I am, she would feel the need to always emphasize yes. that I'm a yes. humble person. But I intentionally in my life try to not put the burden on myself to make myself small, just to be to make it comfortable for people to accept who I am mm-hmm. and whatever I've accomplished. I think we have to be intentional about questioning these things, like you said. And now feel the need, I really don't have another way of saying it, to make ourselves small, to fit the boxes that people want us to fit in. So from that perspective, I think that's what she was doing in that case is, well, you know, I still take my husband's consideration into account before making the choices I make. Now, I'm not saying that we should be in to our partners. Very After I have the baby, I'm going to be changing a lot of things about my work life and it's going to become really challenging for us as a family and so I needed to have a lot of conversations with him to figure out how the dynamics of those were going to work yeah I think that comes from a place of consideration for his career for his time and for the fact that I know that he's going to be pulling more weight because of what I plan to do professionally it doesn't come from a place of I want to make sure that you know that I'm not challenging your authority as the head of this family. Yes, <laughs> head I of think the family. Know, yeah, we're partners. You treat your partner as a partner, as a friend, and you're not going to do things that would, that would affect them without their buy-in. But then at the same time, you're not asking for permission to go out and do things that, are reasonable and that are good for you and ultimately would be good for your family. So I think there's a distinction to be made. And I think we as women, as we occupy the spaces that we're not familiar with, would have to question those things that we were raised raised on and start to create a new normal for ourselves and for the kids that we're raising.
0: When I have these conversations with some of my male friends, one of the things that they sometimes bring up is, well, okay, why don't you guys work and we'll be we stay-at-home fathers, right? And some of them are serious, some of them are not. But to be honest, I think a lot of women that I've come across have an inherent discomfort with that. And I think I would too, because I'm very conscious of the fact that I've been wired for men to work outside the home. So when I hear a man say I'm going to be a stay-at-home father, my immediate reaction is, you might be a stay-at-home person. I don't know if you're going to be a stay-at-home father. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I'm thinking if you don't already change diapers, if you don't already cook dinner, if you don't already do all these things, you're not automatically going to start doing it just because you're at home, right? So I think it's something that some men kind of like to threaten in jest, but and I have seen a growing trend in our community. It's not a large number, but of men saying, okay, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to stay at home. And I've seen some families where it works wonderfully. The wife has a bigger, better paying job. For the same reasons you say where the trade-off in terms of you know income might make sense for someone to stay at home. Or if you have a special needs child that needs someone at home. I, I see that, but to be quite honest, for me, I have to think about it and say, do I want a stay-at-home partner? I, just, I struggle with that. And I don't know if it's just me, if it's my upbringing, but I look at it in the same vein as I probably won't be a stay-at-home anything. I like to work. I think I just don't understand that part.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I'll just come out and say it. I wouldn't want a stay-at-home partner. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? I like the way now where we're we're sharing the finances and we're sharing the housework and we're you know making it work on that level. Like you said, there might come a time if you had a a kid with special needs and you absolutely needed someone to then we'll have a conversation at that time. Mm -hmm. But to your point about whether I think what you're getting at is to stay at home, at least the the men that we know in our community, they were to be stay at home fathers, would they do what you're expecting a stay at home parent to take care of? Yeah. And that brings to mind something I read somewhere where they were saying people should be advocating for paternity leave in Nigeria. And some of the women said, no, we don't want that. (laughs) Because they just be an additional burden. That's an extra person that you have to take care of. And I actually had this conversation with one of my co-workers, too. He happens to be from Cameron. And he was telling me his brother's job gave him quite a few weeks of paternity leave. And my question to him was, did your brother use his paternity leave to actually help his wife and take care of the baby? Or he's like, no, he had projects that he needed to take care of, right? So in our culture, we're so comfortable with assigning these roles to women, regardless of who they are, mothers aunts, grandmothers, some this guy I'm talking about doesn't, he has never bathed his child or he's bathed his child once when his wife was sick. Um, because you oh, wow. have to, right? And I'm like, what do you mean you don't have to bathe your kid? Your kid is two years old. You've lived with this child for two years. You've never had to bathe your kid. You should want to, if nothing else. But anyway, but to your point, I think we have to get to a place where men are as comfortable and see it as their role enough to take care of the house, to manage the house and run the house, if the woman is going to be the sole financial provider in the same way that women do. I know that there are a lot of things that we're going to have to unlearn. So even that transition is going to take a while. Because, for example, I think this men are a lot more comfortable with outsourcing work for example right if the family can afford it i can see it being a lot easier for a man to say oh yeah i'm going to look after the kids but i also need a break so maybe three hours of the day we're going to get outside help which is not a bad thing it's a good thing but if a woman was in his shoes she'd be a lot less comfortable with doing that she'd feel more like well my husband works so hard it's my job to take care of the house. It's my job to take care of the kids, to run them here and there and there. And, and there. to save money. So there are a lot of things that we have internalized. There are a lot of things that are just so normal that we don't even interrogate. We don't see where they come from. And ultimately, we would need to start unlearning. I think that there are a lot of, criti- of more critical things that we need to get rid of before we get to the place where our society and the average woman is comfortable with having a stay-at-home parent.
0: Yeah, I caught myself because we're having a conversation with a group of friends. And um, I was talking about the first time I met my partner. And I was talking about how, you know, he cooks and he takes care of his kid and he's a very hands-on parent and blah, blah, blah. And I was very impressed. And the fact that I was very impressed by that stopped me dead in the middle of the conversation. I said, wait a minute, why am I so impressed by this? What is what is wrong with this picture? Exactly. Oh, my goodness. He bathed his child. He plays with her. And it's like, of course he does. He's the father. And that was something that we laughed about. But it was a, it was a sad kind of laughter because... It was one of those things that felt like you've just grown up in a system where you don't expect it, you don't see it coming, and then it happens. You're in wonder, and one of my friends said to me, "Girl, who have you been dating?" <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but but I had to go back and look at just our history and how and how we were raised and the different gender roles, even from even from when we were little. Right? My sister oh. and I were responsible for cooking and cleaning the kitchen and my parents' bedroom. My brothers were responsible for cleaning the living room and washing the car and sweeping the yard. So this whole sense already of what's public and what's private, that divide had already started. When guests came to visit, it was my job to lay the table, my brother's job to run to the store and get, you know, pamplemousse or something. So already that divide of who works inside and outside. And so I think all my brothers cook or maybe two, but... When they cooked, it was experimental, right? Mm. It was not viewed as they're cooking for the family. They were experimenting with all kinds of things, but I was expected to cook for the family as was my sister. So that conversation, when it happened with my girlfriends, and I said, wow, here I am thinking I am a 21st century woman. I have pretty progressive views about not just women's rights, but across the board. And here I am being just amazed That a man is cooking for me or can take care of his own child. What is wrong with this picture? But that's how deeply ingrained some of these things are, you know? And we give them a pass, right? We celebrate these men because they're few and far between. But I really had to catch myself and go, okay, we have to rewrite this script. It's nice, but this is not what should impress you. (laughs) In your
1: defense, like you said, I don't think that, that these roles are necessarily all these expectations are necessarily built just by the people that you've dated before. They, they're impressed by the way that you were raised, the community that we live in. If there's a meeting and people have to bring food, there's an expectation that the women will cook the food and the men will buy the drinks. It's just what it is. I grew up without brothers. I don't have any brothers. And so there wasn't necessarily this gender assignment of roles that we could have because there were no boys at all. But even I, without that, have come up in society that, you know, enforces those kinds of things. Now, some things are strange to me because <laughs> I just didn't have that. And then I went to an all-girls school. So there's certain things that I kind of do a double take at. But as I've gotten older and I've interacted with other people, I'm realizing that it's an expectation that people have of me. For example, like if I go to an event or something, a Cameranian thing, a random man that I've never met could just have the expectation that I would serve him. Even if I don't live there or like I'm not familiar. You know, just because I'm a woman and you're a man, you think that you can ask me to heat up a plate for you, which I really struggle with, right? So, um these things that are just culture, as they call it, or just expectations that people have because of, of the society that we're in that we really have to start questioning. But I think the fact that you were able to question your reaction to that is what makes a difference. Because I think that's what's going to cost us to, to make those changes. Unless we're intentionally questioning our feelings about certain things. Sometimes when I thank Bernard, who is my husband, for doing something, I have to ask whether I'm thanking him because I'm just appreciating my partner or if I'm thanking him because there's a part of me that doesn't think that that's his job. Yeah. So I have, I'm very intentional about being consistent that I would only thank him for things that I would have thanked my sister for helping me with. Mm. Right. So mm. if my sister mm. was doing something and I didn't think that she, it was necessarily her role or if she was doing it out of kindness, I appreciate her for that. I'm going to appreciate my partner for that too. Now this might be overthinking it, but I think that I have to actively question where this extreme appreciation comes from is yes. it just me realizing that this, this man doesn't have to be doing this and he's helping me which yeah. is a you problem know, versus oh we're just being nice to each other
0: I mean I don't think it's overthinking it right if we step back a bit I was going to call this out a few moments ago when you said something about your I think it's your friend's husband or your friend who hasn't who's maybe bathed his child once and I think the way you phrased it was he's helped bathe his child. Even that language, right? We, we talk about men babysitting their children. And I'm thinking, you're not babysitting your child. You're being a your parent.
1: So even so- That
0: Oh yes, my bad. No, yes. you're not
1: helping. It's your it, job. You brought the kid into the world. You're right. responsible
0: for it. The reason I'm saying that is because I think it's so ingrained in us, right? And to your point around, is it overthinking it? I think it can be exhausting, but sometimes exhausting work is worthwhile to- kind of get over some of these things that are deeply ingrained right we have to think about them we have to arrest them so a few days ago a few friends and I were talking about if you look at and I I did this because I realized one of the things I do a lot at work the number of times I say thanks please sorry in an email right and I step back and I go what am I apologizing for? And even the way I, I ask for, you know, I assign work to someone, or I, assign, I ask my admin, for example, to book a trip. Can you please book a trip? Question mark. I'm not asking if you can. I'm telling you to book a trip because I need to take this trip. So it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where then I started looking at how like my male counterparts phrase emails. And I was like, wait a minute. There is something quite different in how we actually come across. And if you want to be puritans about it, a question is a question and a statement is a statement. If I say to my admin, can you please book a flight for me? He can come back to me and say no, because I asked him a question. Right. But my intention was not to ask him a question. It was to give him a directive to book a flight for me. So I think even in that, I was thinking about where is this coming from? To your earlier point around we're super apologists, right? Apologizing people, were super grateful. Thank you so much. Please, (laughs) all about the email. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be courteous and I'm not saying we shouldn't be polite and I'm not saying we shouldn't be decent human beings. But I caught in myself a lot of apologizing. And I realized that it's because I didn't want people to fit me in one of the black angry woman tropes, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've grappled with that for much of my life. And now I'm like, you know what? That's your problem. That gets to be your problem, not mine. If you read in my not saying, "Can you please?" when I don't really mean that, I mean book the trip because <laughs> I need to take the <laughs> trip. Then that has to be your problem. I think we 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 do carry a lot of issues on our own shoulders. And maybe I'm the one doing the overthinking. Maybe nobody thinks what I'm thinking they're thinking. I'm wired to just be preemptive in trying to eliminate the assumptions people might have about me. And so th- that has been quite a journey.
1: Yeah. But I think that's part of it is that is part of the load that we carry. That's not something that other people have to think about so much, right? I am very comfortable. I've, I've gotten rid of the sorry completely. So I- <laughs> <laughs> if I forget to do something and my boss reminds me, I'm like, oh, thank you for catching that. So I, I've gotten some better about that. And then also when I was in graduate school, that was part of that was the time of my life that I thought about a lot of things about what it meant to be who I am in the space that I was occupying at that time. And I just was able to let myself be OK with not. Not, not caring, but, you know, just, just let go.
0: Yeah. It
1: makes life so much easier when you don't feel that you have to fit an expectation or that you have to try so hard to not be this person that people think that you are. Now, there's no question that it's not entirely up to you. Because, yes. you know, there are expectations. Yes. But to a certain extent, we have to be comfortable with being the people that are, are we appearing as whatever people think that we are. I think it's okay for us to be angry. I've expressed that I'm okay with being considered a bitter person. Um, (laughs) People that don't pay my bills. If I'm okay, like, because there's a lot of things to be angry about in the world, right? If I'm angry at something that should justifiably make you angry, I don't know why that's a trope that I carry or why that should define the rest of my character. And so I think when we when a woman finally gets to the place where she's okay with trying to necessarily stay away from the stereotype to frees you up a lot to spend your mental space and other things, I do want to acknowledge that there are things that are out of our control, and I've had this conversation also it you can't you can't just tell someone. Oh, well, you don't have to. You don't have to. It doesn't matter what expectations people have of you. Yeah. Because the truth is that we live in community. We live in a society that has implications for whatever you do and whatever you yes, are. And so are when you're telling me you don't have to, you're not acknowledging what I'm giving up by not being that. For example, I had a conversation again with the same coworker about a time when I was at work. I was rushing to finish up some stuff because I had a deadline the next day. And some friends of my husband were going to come home and visit us. And it just so happened that that day I was running late, right? So in this case, it's not necessarily about the physical work because he got ready and made food and whatever for them. But I know that there was an expectation that when they came home, they would find me, right? Mm-hmm. My husband was out of town. He was just visiting. And and there's an expectation that when they come home, I would be there because they'd never been to our home this was their first visit, whatever. And I think that the pressure that I felt to at least be home for part of their visit was not something that he would have felt if they were my friends coming to our house.
0: Yeah,
1: at home and he had the, a deadline the next day, he wouldn't have pulled all the stuffs that I felt the need to make it home in time to see my friends. Now, nobody told me that I had to be there. Yes. Right? But I know that there's an expectation that Exist and their consequences for me not meeting that expectation. So, there's only so much room that we have to exercise these choices that I'm claiming that we have. But I think we need to create space for ourselves and be intentional. So, when you're making a choice, you know that, you know, I really don't have to be here, but I can afford to accommodate it. But we need to also acknowledge what the implications are for the choices that we make. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense.
0: It makes a lot of sense because there are consequences, right? I think that on the one hand, I did say maybe people aren't watching and nobody cares. But actually, the reason why tropes exist is because people have created them, right? The angry black woman trope didn't just fall from the sky. Somebody created it for a reason. And so so when you say it's okay to be angry, I understand what you mean by that, but also understand that if you are comfortable being angry, there are implications for how that will be perceived by people who don't understand the context of your anger, whatever that may be. And so that's the one thing that I am mindful of, but you're right, you get to a certain point in your life, I guess women of a certain age, I make it sound like we're 60, but you just have to just not give a damn um apologizing one of the again it will sound like I've just had a year of nothing but reflection and I really have but one of the things that I um I was talking to my team about last year was how it occurred to me that I was working hard at a job to prove that I deserved to be in the job and it's weird how that happens right so you get the job You're doing the job. And then for me, I realized I was doing the most. (laughs) I am perfectionist by nature. But I was going above and beyond. At a point where it began to actually affect my health, I had to step back and ask myself, what's your deal here? What's driving this? This isn't just a quest for excellence. What is it that you're really trying to do here? And on the one hand, it is we want to stand out. We want to do excellent work. We want to have the promotional ladder in front of us. But I can tell you, I was conscious of the fact that at the point where I was in my career, looking at it and going, okay, I'm not going to screw this up for anybody else that looks like me. And that burden is something that we don't talk about, but in our community, we know what it is, right? And my sentiment fairly or unfairly that if I mess up, who does it close the door for? Right, mm-hmm. so I think that's something where you know we can say, mm, I'm gonna live my life, I'm gonna do what I wanna do, but there are consequences, unfairly yeah. so. But, yeah. but we also can't yeah. live our lives for other people. But it was just one of those things that I had to be very aware of and kind of find a way to extricate myself from the accountability mm-hmm. for everybody else. But it is a choice that you make, and there are consequences for those choices.
1: Yeah. I wanted to point those two things out because, to your point. I had the same experience again when I was in graduate school where I showed up and I'm like, oh, I'm the only black person here. And I don't want that tomorrow. I think this guy has given me a chance. Yes. You know, I, <laughs> I don't want to ruin it really for the next African girl that shows up. You know, I would like for my department to admit another student without taking into consideration the fact that I had the grades. I had the passion. I had the ability to do the work. But I took the first two years of graduate school to make a point that I had earned my place in that, yes. and it was super stressful, and I was unable to perform at my best capacity. And so when I was able to eventually be tell myself, I'm not carrying the entire continent of Africa on my head. And I nobody just asked
0: to, you to, right?
1: Nobody asked me to. I just need to get through this, and if I fail. I'm not failing an entire continent. Yes. It's liberating, right? But then to your point, I do want, like you said, acknowledge that there are implications for these things. But I always want to be intentional about acknowledging what the trade-off is and then still making the decision for myself. In every situation, be, you know what? It's not worth it to get the angry Black woman tag. this one situation and so I'm going to let it go and in another situation I should be able to say you know I'm going to stand up for myself today because I think that this particular situation is important enough to address so keeping in mind those consequences for your actions but also just giving yourself space to be human you know we have we're the one group of people that have to keep switching between when you're at home, you're this person, and you go to work, and you have to be this kind of person. But there's also room for just being genuine and in in consideration of what the implications are for some of your actions, still making
0: choices that benefit you. I call it the mask. The masks will kill you. It's like wearing nine different layers of foundation, right? And after a while, you don't even look like yourself. And I think when I talk about this to some of my male friends, a lot of them, especially my white male friends, I think a lot of them don't understand what I'm talking about. And it's not because they don't want to understand. It's just not, they're not coming from that same reference point. I will be careful how I couch this because I do have some who... One or two who are, who are gay and who don't bring their whole selves to work. So for the longest time, I used to get really upset with people saying, bring your whole self to work. And I'm like, can you no. handle my whole, no, self? No. whole self? I mean, yes. can we just talk about what my whole self entails and can you handle it, right? Yes. And I think the onus is always put on employees to bring their whole selves to work. And I always say I would bring my whole self to work if I thought the work environment was such that I could, my whole self was welcome in that environment. And I think some of that work has to be done by employees, quite frankly, in terms of how we accept each other, because institutions are ultimately people, right? Otherwise, it's just a building that is standing there. But I think Organizational cultures have to be such that we they allow space for people to be who they are, but we cannot put that kind of onus on employees to show up and be yourself, and when nobody else is being the, their whole selves, whatever that means, you stand out, and then you wish your whole self went back home.
1: <laughs> and this is something that I talked about a lot when Hillary Clinton was running for president, mm-hmm. right? One of the issues that people had with her was that they said oh, she's not genuine. I can't connect with her because she's always changing. And I'm like, guess what? That's what y'all need women to do, right? There's no space for us to be who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I can relate to that where I show up to a job, I have to be this person for a few weeks and like gauge the environment. And then eventually you start to figure out what's comfortable. I recently interviewed for a job. I hope that my co-workers don't ever hear this interview.
0: <laughs> but then I, uh, then don't tweet to it. <laughs> when I publish it, don't tweet it. You don't want them you know, to hear it. Yeah, LinkedIn. <laughs> and I
1: know, talking to a bunch of partners and my conversation with the female partner was completely different than the conversation that I had with the male partner. Yeah. And there's a reason for that, right? So, when you work in a place where everyone is a man, there's only so much of myself that I can bring to work. I don't want y'all discounting my intellect or discounting other parts of who I am because of certain things that are associated with womanhood or certain things that you people ascribe to your wives. Because I think that that's where a lot of men get their lessons about what womanhood is and what the place of woman is. Mm-hmm. And for me, a lot of my coworkers who are male have stay-at-home partners and things like that. So now that I'm about to be a maternity leave, I've had a lot of thoughts about what people are really thinking about me and my performance in these last few weeks leading up to leaving work. I'm very intentional about making sure that when I leave, people are not going to be cursing me <laughs> about leaving things disheveled because I don't want to be fulfilling a stereotype about women and this time of of life but then again the question is nobody has explicitly told me that they think that i'm not performing well at this time so how much of that is internal and how much of it is perceived from outside and how much work am i doing to relieve myself of the stress or the burden that i feel to be extremely productive at this stage yeah 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 So all these things that we grapple with, but again, we as women have to give ourselves space to just be like, you know what, I'm doing a lot of extra work right now and whatever other people's perceptions or expectations are, I'm okay with taking care of myself and doing what I need to do to do my job and not trying to do extra just to prove a point. Yeah. And also acknowledging that yeah maybe there are people that think that i'm less productive or less other things now and i'm just going to have to be okay with that
0: and you know the fact that in this conversation the number of times that we've referenced what other people think Mm -hmm. i've had conversations with men in the vein of work and stuff really do i hear that this level of referencing what other people think right and i think that's one of those things that, again, for me, is I've had to step back and actually sit with it and say, what's going on here? Because very easily, someone can wave it off and say it's insecurity, but is it or is it falling prey to societal expectations of what a woman should or shouldn't be doing? If your whole life has been spent being told what to do, naturally, you start to ascribe a lot of value to what people expect of you. Right. And so I've really had to sit back and think about some of these things and say, well, no, part of the reason why I am thinking about what people are thinking about is because I've been trained to think about what people are thinking about. And I have to actively then interrupt that thought process and say, okay, this is what I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. And I have to be okay with whatever the fallout is. But it was just something that I was listening to as we spoke about the friends who were coming home, what would they think if you weren't there? And if your husband did this, then it was what people think. It's just, it's a lot of what people think. And I don't know who these people are in the... <laughs> in the <laughs> but Beyond that, I
1: also think that it's because we're not the default. So people do think things about us. That they do. They won't think about other people. It's not just extrapolations. It's the fact that when you sit in a room, you're sometimes the only one that looks like you. So there is more scrutiny in you, even when it's not intentional. And so that we are cognizant of that, maybe too much. So but it's, we can't just push it aside and say that it doesn't exist because guys don't think about it. Well they don't have to because there are a lot of them and they are the default. And whereas for me, <laughs> I overheard a conversation one day of some one of my coworkers who sits next to me telling a younger employee who is a woman he was telling her, oh you know there's just a few female engineers at this job that are really good at their jobs and then he goes ahead to like list their names that was very curious to me because I was like this man has a list of people that he has been observing and it almost gives us the implication that the default female engineer is not it's excellent not good, yeah. and you just have to be the few women that stand out I don't think that he could come up with a list of men like that because the default in his mind is that probably the men are good and then he could come up with a list of men who are not good. So when you're not the default, there is more scrutiny that we can acknowledge, but not let it be debilitating and not let it affect the decisions that we make more than we need
0: to. This is a fantastic conversation, and in fact, the the one I had before yours, I was talking to Michelle Silverthorn of, of um, Inclusion Nation, and we're having a similar conversation, which was talking about the default of being white and being mm-hmm. black or brown in a world where the default is white. So it's just it's parallel conversations in terms of what the default is and how we exist outside those paradigms, actually. Well, it's been fantastic. And I realized at the beginning, we didn't actually say your full name. <laughs> you, you introduced yourself as Mbu and that was kind of it. So Mbu Winding, soon to be mother of one. Interestingly enough, we've come up to the whole hour. We haven't talked about motherhood. So we'll have to keep it for another time when you come back to the show. And thank you for all your contributions to, quite frankly, I mean, when I pull up your name um, on Google, one of the first things that comes up is about you being the first aerospace engineer (laughs) from Cameroon. And I think that's something, again, that, you know, we shouldn't gloss over. We should celebrate that because given everything we've just talked about, it is a rarity. It shouldn't be, but it is. And I think that women like you are examples of what happens when we do give women and girls space to actually stretch and reach their full potential. So just for being a role model and for being you and for having the views that you have, just thank you.
1: Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate all that. And thank you for creating the space for us to have these conversations because, like I said, I I think that as long as we're intentionally questioning and intentionally correcting, we're eventually going to make a world that is better for all of us, and that would ultimately be better for our children to thrive. For me, that's one of the biggest motivations because I've kind of given up on <laughs> our generation. Oh, I don't give up yet. We're
0: making strides.
1: Oh, we're making incremental changes. Um, but every time I think that we're, we're we're changing, I hear someone who I consider really intelligent and really progressive say something stupid. And so
0: I, I, that's just I'm a human thing. That... <laughs> that's, that's, that's just a human thing. As stupidity shows up every once in a while.
1: To <laughs> <laughs> so your point, you, you're making you're talking about this first female engineer or oh, the first aerospace engineer from Cameroon who has a PhD. Yesterday, someone, I don't know, took got a picture of my partner and I and posted it on Instagram and said, congratulations to our aerospace engineer and her love. And one of my friends, quote, found the picture with that caption online, shared it in you know, a WhatsApp group, and he said something like, guys, let's hustle so that tomorrow they're not going to refer to us as hello. And oh, that wow. really hurt me, I was very, very offended by that. Yeah. Because there's an implication in there that I think you get what, you get what my problem is.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So every once in a while, something like that happens. And it comes from someone that I think should know better. That makes me think that we're not making as much progress as we think we are. But I'm very hopeful that as we continue having these conversations and we continue questioning the things that we've learned and the things that we believe to be true, we'll be able to raise a generation that is a lot freer in the choices that are available to them. And that has a lot less of the burden and baggage that we have to carry as we walk the paths that we walk. So thank you. Thank you for making the space. I'm definitely looking forward to becoming a mother and raising a little girl and seeing how... Oh,
0: it's a girl. It's confirmed. Wow. Congratulations, my goodness. She has one heck of a mother there to help her navigate what it is to be a person and a woman and in our skin, from our part of the world. So... Uh, wish you both just the absolute best. And please come back to see us. I always want to hear how things look on this side of the fence. And then when you cross over to motherhood, it's like a totally different story. I'd be happy to. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Have a good morning. I think it's morning for you, isn't it? It's 9 a.m. All right. Well, it's 11 p.m. for me, so I should haul my butt to bed. <laughs> Thanks so much, Boo. Thank you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed our latest episode. Share your thoughts in the comments below or by emailing ab at mamatalktalk.com. Continue the conversation in your homes and communities. And when you join us next week, please invite a friend or many. For more diverse perspectives on everyday issues from everyday people around the globe, please subscribe to our podcast at mamatalktalk.com forward slash a different tape and join our online family by following us on Twitter and Instagram. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Avi Mambo. Sigashina, stay well.